Well, it is a privilege to be back home at Sherwood. Um, for those of you I don't know, my name is Patrick Thompson, as Michael mentioned, I'm the pastor of New City Church up in New York City. And uh, uh, we almost, it was almost 20 years ago this year that I served at Sherwood. And Sherwood always has a special place in my heart. I remember the day we walked forward to join the church, our very first Sunday here in the old auditorium. Uh, I came down and you know, we did the official, we're here to join, even though I'd already been hired on staff and all that stuff you have to do. And Michael said, I can remember it to him just like it was yesterday. He said, welcome home. And Sherwood has always been home for us. Anytime we come here, uh, our family has always felt like home. You guys have been a tremendous part of our lives when we were here, even before we came to Sherwood. We, knew, we were prayed for by the people of Sherwood before we ever came on staff here. And that has continued until this day, and uh, you guys have a special place here. When, uh, when Michael asked us to come and uh, share, I secretly was hoping to get the Sunday night assignment because I, 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 like, I really like coming to church on Sunday morning at Sherwood. I love coming to Sunday nights at Sherwood. I don't know what it is. We were talking about it earlier. There, there's just something special that happens in this room, in this place on Sunday nights, and uh, I'm privileged to be able to come and share with you guys this evening. I want to do three things tonight. I want to give you just a little update on our church and where we're at and the church that you helped us begin in New York City, and then I want to walk you through a scriptural challenge that uh, God, through a verse that God has really used over the last five years in my life to sustain me in this church planning uh, journey, and then we're going to close. I'm going to give you a very specific challenge that I'm going to ask you to, to take hold of, as Ken mentioned, immediately tonight. And so that's what we're going to do today. And uh, I want to begin by just telling you a little bit about our church. We moved up to New York City five years ago to plant a church uh, in an area of the city where there was, there's never been a Southern Baptist church. Western Queens, we are the first English-speaking Southern Baptist church in that area. Uh, we went into a, an area of the city that needed a church, needed the gospel, tremendously fast-growing area, 150,000 people in just a few square blocks, and nobody's telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, we walked in there, and God has just been so faithful the past five years to take, basically take a family of four, me, my wife, Katie, and our two kids, and use a family to build a church. And this Sunday, this Sunday morning, it was a little cold. It was uh, about 14 degrees this morning in New York, so don't complain about the 20 degrees or, or whatever you guys have here. But this morning, we had about 130, 140 people gathered in our church. And it's amazing to see that, and I could sit up here the whole night and tell you story after story of God's provision and God's protection and God's faithfulness, but it's just been this journey that you guys have helped us be on. And this past year, 2017, has been an incredible year for us. Just this past year, we saw 20 people come to Christ and baptized us. so many of those. Thank you. And... Uh, we had over 3,000 people attend our community carnival. So many of those wanted information about our church. Every week since then in October, we've had people visit our church that came to the carnival. This past Easter, we had close to 260 people in attendance at church on Sunday. We uh, launched New City Korean Church. Uh, we have a Korean-speaking service. goes on at the same time in our building. Uh, it's just been phenomenal. We have ordained two men to ministry uh, we've dedicated about 20 children to the Lord this year. It's just been a phenomenal year. And God has been so faithful in walking with us on this journey. In 2018, this year, we're getting ready for what I feel is even a more exciting year. We'll be announcing next Sunday to our church 
our plans to begin the process of launching our second campus, just three subway stops away from us in an area called Queensboro Plaza. One of our staff members will be leading that effort and we're gonna be asking about six to eight of our own members to go out and help be the core team of that. And you know, if a church of 120 can multiply, any church can multiply. And that's what God's called us to be. We're excited about that. Just this coming Sunday as well, we're gonna be introducing our, 12, our 14 person staff in our church. Now they're not all paid. <laughs> I, I tell people all the time, I'm hiring, I'm just not paying uh, when they come to church. But, uh, but we have so many people that have come to Christ in our church that are so passionate about the gospel that they wanna be a part. They wanna own ministry. And so we're presenting a leadership team of 14 people on Sunday that are gonna help lead our church out in 2018. It's been a phenomenal year and a phenomenal time. And as I move to the scripture, I sit here many times, sit in my office, I sit in my home, I sit down when I'm praying with God and I ask this question, how did we get here? How did we get here? How did we get from there to here? How did I get from Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia, Georgia 20 years ago to the heart of New York City planning a church? How did I get from being comfortable in a job and content and, and living in my hometown to uprooting my family and moving them to a place that we didn't know anybody? How did we see people come from not knowing or not being interested in the gospel at all and not even caring a thing about God or Jesus to now becoming fully functioning followers of Christ and desiring to spend every waking minute they have pursuing him? How did we get from here to there. It's been an amazing journey, and this is what I want us to talk about tonight, is how do we get from here to there? Because I don't know where you are in your life, but you're somewhere right now. You're, you're, you're here on Sunday night, but you are somewhere in your life, and maybe you feel like you have been stuck in the same place for a long time. Just here. You're here, and you've always wanted to go there. Maybe it's vocationally, maybe it's financially, maybe it's just in relationships, something you've been wanting to happen. And you try to do it and you try to do it and you just can't seem to get there. I wanna walk you through a verse tonight of scripture that really helped us and our family and myself move from here to there. It's found in Galatians chapter six, verse nine, and it's a very simple verse. And uh, if you got it and pull it up and we'll read it together. And it simply says this, let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. How do we get from here to there? Don't grow weary in doing good because in due time, you will reap if you don't give up. What I wanna do tonight is very simple. I wanna take some key phrases out of this verse and show you what God's taught me and, and maybe what it can teach you as well. Let's take this first passage where it says, do not grow weary. What does it mean to grow weary? You know, we, we can talk about this idea of being weary. You ever had, I, I remember weariness where I really truly understood weariness. It was in youth ministry. When we did a thing called a lock-in, I'm telling you, I, I believe those are completely from the pit of hell. I mean, they are just, but there's nothing like that four o'clock in the morning when you're like, we've got four more hours of this. Like, I'm just so weary and tired. That's, that's not the weariness this is talking about. It's not just being tired. It's the fact that you're carrying burdens that you were never intended to carry. 
that you're starting to do things, that you're, you're trying to do the role of, play the role of God in your life instead of letting God play that role. Weariness comes when we take on the role of God and neglect our responsibilities. And what do I mean by that? You know what? We sometimes think we're called to be the judge. And God says, don't judge. That's my job. But we think it's our job to look into somebody's life or, and say this and this and this, and we start to be the judge. We think it's our job to try to convert as many people as we can. When it says the Holy Spirit and God is the only one that can change a man's heart, we take on that burden that, you know what? It's, it's my job to argue for God. It's my job to win this argument. I've got to defend God. That sounds good until you think about it. What kind of God actually needs defending? If he's truly the creator of the universe, does he need me to stand in front of him and say, don't mess with him. Don't mess with my God. I defend my children. I defend those that are vulnerable. Our God is not a vulnerable, childish God. He's the creator of the universe. He's the most powerful being that ever has been and ever will be. He doesn't need us to defend him. That's not our job. We can stand firm with him, but we don't have to take on this role that we've got to defend God to the world. And when we take on those, we grow weary. It's basically this. We start to pick up baggage that God never intended us to pick up. New York City is a walking city. You, you, you know, we don't own a car there. We take the subways. We, we, uh, if it's really cold, I may occasionally get a car, but we walk everywhere. And I'm going to tell you, there's one of the worst feelings in New York City is I'm going to experience when I go back on Monday is taking luggage through New York City. When you're rolling luggage down the street and the, everybody's pressing against you, especially when I, I know it on Monday when I get home, because the sidewalks are going to be about this narrow with all the snow we've had, and I'm going to be pulling these bags, and people are going to be like, get out of my way. And I'm telling you, there is nothing more wearisome than pulling baggage when you don't want to. And when you get home, when I get home to my apartment, I am so looking forward to this, when I get home and I set down those bags. And I'm like, I'm free again. I can enjoy this city and I can enjoy my life like I was intended to. But we do the same thing in our spiritual lives. We pick up bags and we pull them through our lives, these bags that God never intended us to have. And I want to challenge you to start identifying that because that's what's making you grow weary. It's not the work for God. It's that you're trying to do God's work for him. Stop trying to take on the role of God. And instead, we don't grow weary when we start doing what we're called to do, which is to simply be salt, light, and an amazing fragrance of life to those that are perishing. That's our job. It's not to do the hard work that God, God's done the hard work. This is what it says. It's, it's not my job to do God's job. It's my job to play my role in God's great grand design. Don't take up God's job. It's too big for you. It's way too big. And I fell into this trap when I first moved to New York. It was February of uh, the first year we were there, 2013. And I'm walking around our city. And those of you who know me, know me. I'm kind of an extrovert. I love to talk to people and meet people. And I had this idea in my mind that I would move to New York, live in this apartment building, and within a first week, I would know everybody on my floor. And then within the first month, I would know everybody in the entire building. And like within a couple weeks, I'd be strolling down the neighborhood like, hey, hey, you know, I, like I just had this mentality. And I moved to 
New York in January, and I've, you know, I know now, like, people hibernate in January and February. Nobody gets out. And even if they do, they got these hood and mask on. You're not talking to anybody when you're walking down the street. And I was so frustrated. It was mid-February, and I was sitting there, and I was walking, and uh, one of our friends, that, they're actually part of our church now, she had told me this, one of the things that she does, she'll go out and look at the skyline, and she'll see the lights in all the apartments, and it'll remind her of the people that live in those places, and she'll start praying for them. And I thought, that's beautiful. And I was doing that. And I was out doing that. I was out walking my dog, and I was praying for people in those. And I want to just tell you, I got a little overwhelmed. I was like, God, I've been here for two months, and I don't know anybody. And look at what I've been doing. I've been just walking around the streets, hoping somebody will talk to me. And that's probably why they didn't talk to me. It's because I was doing, but I was just doing, I was like, what is it? It's up to me. I was carrying the role. And I realized I'd been, God spoke to me in that moment. He's like, Patrick, you've been praying for these people. Would you start praying for yourself? Would you pray that God would, would you ask me to prepare you for what you've got to do here? I thought I showed up ready. I didn't. I showed up needing God to do a work in my life first. And I grew weary because I started doing the work for God before I was ready. It's not that we get to be spiritually lazy, but we also got to rely on the power of God. And so in that moment, I prayed and I said, God, help me. I just want to meet somebody. You know me, I, I'm here to meet people. Would you just open a door? And I really thought, like, okay, I've prayed that. Something, you know, maybe the next few months something will happen. I walk back upstairs. I get on my computer. And this is on my screen, this email. You probably can't read it, but I put it up there because it's, I keep it. I walk back up, literally open up. And this is from a lady on the 21st floor of my apartment. Wrote me an email while I was out praying, asking if our kids would be interested in coming to babysit her kids. I emailed her right back. And that afternoon, we were in her apartment. I don't know about you, but I learned something that day. When we pray specifically, God answers specifically. I mean, I prayed to meet somebody, and by that afternoon, for some only God reason, I'm standing in someone's apartment. And we began to get to know people, and I traced that back not to the work of my hand, but to God doing his work and me being willing to do my part. So stop trying to do the work of God. Stop trying to pick up God's bags for him. And instead, play your role. And your role is found in the next part. It says, do not grow weary, what? In doing good. Doing good. And what is doing good? Good's a, good, we think good's an easy word to figure out, right? All right, I just do good. But I want to tell you what we often do. We trade good for not doing bad. So instead of doing good, we start to isolate ourselves and say, I'm just not going to do the bad things. I'm going to stay away from the bad influences, the bad people, and I will just isolate myself. Or we start to try to just eliminate things in our life. All right, so I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say these words. I'm going to try not to think these words. I'm going to do all these kind of things. And we either start to isolate or eliminate and think that we're doing good. And you know what we're actually doing? We're actually hiding the good that God has put within us. Because we start removing ourselves from those who need good the most. 
You see what God has called us there. One of our roles as a follower of Christ is not to carry God's bags, not to do his job, but one of our roles is this, is to find places the gospel is absent and go and interject our lives there. You are the righteousness of God. Did you catch that? The righteousness of God has been imputed, imparted to you and in your life. You carry his righteousness, his goodness. And it's not our goal to try to hide that, to consolidate that into one place, to keep it just together with ourselves. It is to find places that there is no goodness, that there is no light, and go put ourselves there. That's missions. But it's not something special calling that only a few of us have. It is a calling that all of us have to go and make disciples to take the goodness of God into this world. I used to always think goodness was just basically trying to create a safe place. And can I tell you, Ryan talked about it this morning. There's hazard in following God. It's not about finding a safe place. Can I tell you the people who usually don't stick with our church when they come to New York? I can tell when they, when they get there. They'll come in, they'll introduce themselves, and they'll start telling me what church that they are from in the South, typically, and that they are looking for another church like that in New York. And I'm like, that, that's not us. I'm just like, I, I, don't, I just kind of shake my head to start with, and, uh, because there are no churches like these churches in New York, and it's just a different place. But basically what they're saying is this, I want a safe place. New York is a crazy place, there's, so I just need this church to be a safe place for me. And I quickly tell them, <coughs> you know, we're going to provide Bible teaching and all that stuff, but I'm also going to challenge you to go be a light where you work, to go where the gospel's not and take the gospel with you there. And they kind of start nodding at me at that point. And I can tell they're not going to be back. They're wanting to go find a place to hide. And the church should never be a place to hide. Amen. We don't hide the gospel. City is not on a hill to be hidden, it's to give light to the ground. We don't put our light under a bushel, we let it shine. Good deeds is not just creating a good environment to hide in, it's taking the goodness with you to a world that is lost. And this, I gave into this trap too. I remember I was walking, there's a picture of a pier in my neighborhood that's gonna come up on the screen. I was walking up and down this pier one day praying, it's a fishing pier. And uh, people actually fish in the East River. I pray to God they don't eat the fish that come out of there. But, uh, but as they're fishing, I'm walking down, I'm seeing these people, and that was just a reminder to me. I, I do it all the time that I'm a fisher of men. I'm a fisher of men. And uh, I was walking up and down there, and our church uh, was just, we were having problems. Nobody was, you know, it was really slow. Slow growth in New York. And I remember walking up and down that pier, and I was praying this. I was like, God, if you will send people to us, I will pastor them well. I will love them. I will care for them. I will teach them the word of God. I will, you know, I was just telling them, I was telling God all the stuff I would do for them if he would send them to us. And God literally stopped me in my tracks on that pier. And he said, Patrick, if you wait for people to show up to your church to start pastoring them, you'll never have a church in the city. Start pastoring this neighborhood now. And I began to, my whole vision changed. I started to look at my neighborhood as my congregation. I started to treat people not like prospects, but like people. 
that God loved and that I was already called to care for there. Not so that they would come so that I have a platform to preach to or a program that we could say that we're doing, but these are the people that were there. We started pastoring them now. I, I look at my neighborhood of about 150,000 people, and I view that as my congregation. We have one of the largest congregations in America. They just don't show up to church much. So <laughs> I, it, it's a, but we have a change in mindset that it's not about them coming to experience the good that we have. That's what I was praying. God, bring them to the goodness that we are experiencing. And God was reminding me, no, go, go, take the goodness with you. Do not grow weary in doing good. Take it out there. Because then, what does it say next? Do not grow weary in doing good for in due time. Due time. This is a tough one because I like to control my schedule. I like to control things a lot. And God has broken me of that tremendously in this journey of church planning. And, and what due time, when you look at this, it means a couple of things. It means at the right time and at the exact time, the exact moment. Due time means at the exact right time, God will open the door. God will provide the opportunity. When Katie and I first began to talk about moving to New York City, this was almost six years ago now, I, I was on the, I was not, it was not on my radar. I was sitting there, it was a Friday. I get a phone call from somebody at the North American Mission Board that said, would you ever consider planting a church in New York City? And I never had, but when those three words hit my heart, it was like something shifted. And uh, we had a long conversation that day and I come home that night and I mention it to Katie and I said, Katie, would you ever think about going to New York City? Ryan was telling a similar story this morning about his wife that, what about New Orleans? And she was like, yes. I said, Katie, what about New York? She was like, no. <laughs> she was like, absolutely not. And so I was, I was like, I didn't think so. I, I was on the, we're on the same page. I just wanted to run it by you. And so, uh, but God used both of that in our lives just to begin this process of thinking about it. And so we began to think about it. And here's what we concluded. We would be open to doing this after the kids graduate from high school. They were in ninth grade and seventh grade at the time. So now there's six years. We'll live comfortably for six years, and then we'll go do something crazy for God. And people won't talk too bad about us then. Like, we'll, we'll just go do it then. And so we started thinking in that direction, but God just wouldn't let that settle in our life. And Katie said, all right, here's what we'll do. We'll talk to the kids. And if the kids say yes, We'll consider it. But of course they're not going to. They're seventh grade and ninth grade, right? So we were like sitting down at the dinner table one night and we started to talk. And I said, kids, I just want to run something by you. What if we moved to New York City to plant a church? Like I tried to say it really fast so they wouldn't understand what I was saying. And, uh, and it got really quiet at the table. We had made sure that we didn't have any knives out on the table that night or anything. And it got really quiet. And PJ, is, uh, he was actually in eighth grade at the time. Natalie was in sixth grade at the time. Almost in unison said this, what would keep us from doing that? And Katie and I were both like, well, you guys, you two, <laughs> you were supposed to say no. And, uh, and they, they said, what? And it was like immediately in their hearts. And we knew God was up to something. That was in April of 2012. In January of 2013, our family is sitting in New York City. Five years ago tomorrow is when I got on a plane to go to New York. And can I tell you something? It was the exact right time. 
If I would have waited until this year when Natalie graduated, we would be going into this neighborhood and we would have missed the tremendous growth that's come in there. We would have missed the opportunity to be ingrained in the natural flow of this neighborhood. God knew that we needed to go to this part of New York at this exact moment. Maybe somebody needs to go to a different part of New York this year or go to a different part of LA or New Orleans next year. But for us, the exact right moment was five years ago when we got on a plane and we changed our lives forever. And here's what I've learned in this process is that when God prompts, he prepares. When God starts prompting your heart, he's not only preparing you, but he's preparing what's coming and where you're going. It's so easy to think, all right, God, I I know best the timing of my life. Wait till I do this. Wait till this happens. Wait till I get this in order. And then I'll be obedient. Then I'll do good. I'll take good somewhere. But right now, you know, we got kids. We need to create a safe environment for the kids. Can I tell you, there have been times I have really, it's hurt my soul that my kids have missed out on a traditional youth group. And I did youth ministry for 15 years. It's part of my heart and part of my life. And I, I thought, man, I, I, miss, I hate that they miss Disciple Nows and camps. But just hearing the testimony of these students and of Garrett of what this one-week mission trip did in their lives, can I tell you, my kids have lived a five-year-long mission trip. What God has done in their hearts and the development of these, because he moved them there at the right exact time. And here's what we do. We try to break down barriers. Our role is not to break down every barrier, but to walk through every open door. Don't try to break down the walls. Walk through the doors that God opens. Our first winter there was really cold. I mean, really cold. Maybe I just, it was really cold because it was our first winter there and we had moved from the south. But I just remember that it was, I'd never been that cold in my life. And uh, we got on the wrong subway our first couple months there and It was me, uh, my wife Katie, my daughter Natalie, and we get off at the wrong subway stop. And right as we get off, this bus pulls up at the right exact time. And I'm like, just get on the bus. It's cold, get on the bus. I don't know where it's going, we'll figure it out. And so we get on the bus and it happened to be going in the right direction, which I was very thankful of. And we get on and there's only one other person on the bus with us. It's a lady that we end up sitting directly across from. And we're all bundled up. We start taking our hoods and stuff off and our gloves and just trying to breathe again. And like, as I just kind of taken my first breath, I feel God say, talk to her. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, it's too cold. Like, I'm just getting my breath back, God. No, I'm not going to do this. And so I just sit there and he finally, he says, talk to her, talk to her. And I'm like, all right, God, let me, let me explain something to you in New York. We don't, we don't do this. Like I've been living in New York like three months now. I'm an expert. So let me just tell you how things work here. And I like, people don't talk on the bus. And so I just kept telling God all the reasons. No, 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 no. And he kept just boom, boom, the prompting of the spirit. So finally I did something very spiritual. I began to pray. I began to pray that she would get off the bus. <laughs> and uh, I was like, please, please get off at this stop. And, and she didn't. She stayed with us. And uh, so finally I said, all right, God, let me just prove you wrong. I'll say something to her and then we'll, I'll show you it's not going to be good. And so I sat there for a little and I thought, like, what can I say? And 
I had this, you know, deep epiphany moment, and I said, how you doing? And I, and I was like, God, that really sounded like Joey, you know? I was like, ah. Oh. And uh, she, her head popped up, and she looked at me, and she said, what did you say? And I was like, oh, to God, it's about to go down. It's not going to be good. And uh, I said, how are you? I did it without the Joey accent this time. I was like, how are you doing? And, uh, and almost immediately, tears began to fill her eyes. And she just broke down. And she said, I'm not doing good at all. She said, I'm actually going from one homeless shelter to another one. And the one I've been to before, I've been raped and attacked there. I don't know what I'm walking into. She said, I'm scared out of my mind. And we just began to talk. And she was beginning to share things about her life. And we just listened. We began to pray with her. And I don't, I've never seen her again. She got off the bus before we did. We had a great chance to pray with her. And as she was about to get off the bus, she said this. She said, I, you wouldn't know this, but she said, this is the first conversation I've had in two months. She said, nobody talks to me. I get yelled at, get screamed at, I get pushed, I get shoved. It's the first conversation I've had. And I thought, and my heart just broke, but then it filled with joy. Because I, I hated what she was walking into, but I was so grateful that God loved her so much to prompt my spirit to do something uncomfortable at the exact right moment to share his peace and love with her. I pray she walked off that bus knowing that God loved her no matter what she was walking into. And I knew I, I can't change every circumstance of every person I meet in New York, but maybe I can change their outlook. Maybe I can change where they're looking for hope, like Matt mentioned this morning. So the exact right time in due time. Don't try to break down the barriers. Instead, follow God, his open doors. And then what does it say? In due time, well, what? It says we will reap. You and I will reap. Now, that sounds like the fun part, right? We'll reap. And I mean, when I think about reaping as a church planner, I'm like, all right, that means more people coming to church, more baptisms that I can turn in to our partners and, you know, more money coming in, bigger buildings. I'm going to get asked to speak at conferences, like boom, boom. I'm like, all right, let's start this reaping, God. Due time. I'm ready. I'm ready. And like we, we go there, don't we? Not just as a pastor, whatever, wherever you are in your life, you're like, man, I'm, I'm ready. I've been praying for this guy for 10 years. I'm ready. Bring it on. It's, it's time now been praying for my husband, my wife. I've been praying for financial breakthrough. I've been praying for this. I've been praying for that. It's time. I want to reap. I want to reap. I want to see other people's lives changed. And I, I love this because we'll eventually see that. But that's not the reaping that Paul's talking about here. Because if you actually could just go back a few verses, it's a different kind of reaping that he talks about. And it's a reaping in our hearts. It's the fruit of the Spirit. He says, in due time, you and I will reap the fruit in our lives. We will start to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. We will start creating so much fruit in our life. We'll begin reaping things in our life that we can't help but drop fruit as we walk through this life. We can't help but leave stuff behind us. We think reaping means that it's changing other people when what he's saying is the true reaping is in your heart and in my heart. The true change we will see is not in bigger buildings and in more people coming. That will happen when we live a life, when our lives start to produce fruit. You see, we start to be concerned more about tilling the soil of other people's heart than we do about maintaining the soil of our own hearts. 
And when we start maintaining the soil of our own hearts, it will impact others. Because when you will reap, here's what happened. Our role is this. Our role is to plant the seeds of truth from the harvest of our lives into the fertile hearts of others. That's our job. It's not to try to get them to produce. It's simply to drop enough fruit and seed from our life as we're doing good that it will take root and God will bring about change in the hearts of men and women. It's so easy to want someone else to change, to let that be the desire of our heart. Instead of saying, God, change me. Make me more of a representation of you. Make me more of a reflection of you. May the fruit of the Spirit so pour out of my life that other people can't help but want to taste it and want to experience it. I, I've grown accustomed now. I, I, I remember I would pray, as I mentioned before, I would see the lights. And I would pray for the people in the buildings and the people in those buildings. And I've stopped praying that, not because it's a <coughs> bad prayer. But now I've started praying more for the light to be in my life, for the light to shine brighter in my life, so that when I encounter those people, they see a difference. And the last thing he says is this. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time you will reap if you do not give up. If you do not give up. I want to to tell you very clearly, we will be tempted to give up. I can't tell you how many times over these past five years I have been tempted to give up. Just, there's been days I just want to say, here are the keys to the apartment. Put me on a plane somewhere else. I'm done. There's been days... I just, I just want a job where I get a paycheck again. Like we've, we fundraise, you know, and because of churches like Sherwood, we're able to sustain and do things there. But, but sometimes I'm like, man, it was just nice to get a paycheck and not worry about where that money came from. Like it just showed up in our account. There's weariness that goes along with that. And I've been, I've wanted to give up before. I've been tempted to give up on God and to try to take back control and say, God, you're not doing this fast enough. God, you're not doing it the way I want it. Let me, I'm going to take back control. I've been tempted to give up on other people and think their hearts will never be receptive to the truth of God. People that I've been praying about and talking to and trying to drop seeds in their life for five years, and I see nothing. I've been tempted to give up. I've been tempted to give up on myself. And I think maybe I'm, this isn't me. Maybe I'm in the wrong role. Maybe this isn't what I was called to do. God, just get me out and give up on myself and think I'm not good enough. Can I tell you, as much as we want to give up, and sometimes we do, I'm so thankful we serve a God that never gives up on us, who won't allow us to wallow in our self-pity, to won't allow us to swim in our self-doubt, but will instead grab us, hold our chin up, and rescue us. <laughs> Natalie, many of you know, was, she was born here in, uh, in Albany. And uh, after, this was after we had moved from Albany. She was about uh, three years old. And we were visiting some friends in a different part of the state. And we were just hanging out, enjoying her and PJ were playing in a room uh, in a little back porch area. And the house we were at had a pool in the backyard. But the door had an alarm on it, so you know. But somehow that door had gotten left open. 
And uh, so we're just sitting there chatting, and all of a sudden, PJ comes into the room and kind of calmly says, Natalie is going underwater. And just my parent parental instinct kicked in, and I jumped up and went out, and she had gotten into the pool and was sinking to the bottom. And I dove in, and as I dove in, I grabbed her, and her body was just completely limp. And I came, and I sat her on the side of the pool, and every thought that you can imagine was going through my mind at that point. Like, what? How? What do we do now? And just so happened the family we were at, she was a pediatric nurse, and she came out, and Natalie had not been under long, and she was breathing, and she had just been trying to sustain so hard. She'd been kicking so hard that when I finally grabbed her, she relaxed. And she rested in my hands and allowed me to save her. I want to tell you, when you've been kicking, when you've been trying, just, you feel like, I'm done. Let me just sink. God's not going to let you go. God will come and he will take you and he will save you if we persist. I want to tell you this, persistence is the most powerful force behind the advance of the gospel. It is the most powerful force behind the advance of the gospel. When we persist in prayer, when we persist in being salt and light and a fragrance, when we persist in being open to follow God, when we persist in letting go of the baggage that we shouldn't be carrying and we start playing our role, that is what advances the gospel. Persistence. Little by little, step by step. One of my favorite movies, I love movies. One of my favorite movies is the movie Shawshank Redemption. If you've ever seen that movie, it's about a guy who breaks out of jail. And the way he does it is he takes this small little pickaxe. And for 30 years, he just slowly, a little bit of dirt here, a little bit of rock there, and just enough to put in his pocket and dump out in the yard. And he goes back the next night, every night, just a little bit here, goes through pickaxes. And one of the famous lines in the movie says, I used to think that it'd take a man a lifetime to, to chisel through a, that cement wall, but it took Andy Dufresne 30 years. And finally, one day, he broke through. And he was able to escape. He was an innocent man. He was able to escape. It was just out of the power of persistence, just a little bit every day. And that's what God calls you. When he says, don't give up, he says, just persist. Pray again. Go again. Trust again. Just keep persisting forward. I want to ask you today, I told you I'd call you to a commitment. I want to ask you to persist tonight. Those are the people I'm persisting for. Those are the people I'm calling out their names every day for God to break through in their life. Who are you persisting for? I want to invite you to come and pray. Pray where you're at. But I want to invite you to call out a name to God that you're willing to persist for. To go on mission for. Maybe it's at your work. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's somewhere that you don't even know yet. But there's somebody that God is calling you to persist for. To not grow weary and doing good. Because in due time, you will reap if you do not give up. Who are you persisting for? Would you call their name out to God right now? Would you verbally say, God, I want this person 
to come to know you. I want the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to invade their lives. I want them to come from here to there. I want to see their lives change. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I will persist. This is missions. It's not necessarily going anywhere until we've gone to the throne room of God on behalf of people. Power of prayer and the power of persistence. Will you call out those names to God right now? Let's fill this room with the names of people that we're persisting for, that we want to see lives changed. Call their name out verbally to God. Say, God, I want this. And I'm yours. Use me. Change me. Move me. God, you know every individual name's name that has been called out tonight. You know the faces and the hearts, you know the hairs on the head of every person that's name is being called out for right now. God, you created them, you formed them, you shaped them. God, you love them with a love that we can't even fully explain. God, you desire for every one of them to know you, to be reconciled to you. God, we don't have to defend you. We don't have to fight for you. We simply have to be fruit for you and to go into these lives and to go into these places and be good. Be your goodness. Let your righteousness shine. God, I pray that through your power and through our persistence in obedience, God, we would see hundreds of lives move from here to there, move from lost to saved, move from hopeless to hopeful, move from dead to life, move from blind to see. God, it's not our job to change them, it's simply our job to be, to persist. God, we love you. God, as we continue to pray, would you allow this to mold, shape us, and be a defining moment in who we are?